like, you, you ever like, for any teachers out there, you know when the principal comes and sits in your class? <laughs> it's like, man, I better, uh, I better go over this thing one more time before I come up here. Uh, just kidding. Um, hey, uh, thank you guys for being here again. We are in 1 Timothy, so if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, I'll be reading primarily from the NIV, so if you have your digital Bibles, you can go to the NIV, but we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy, and so last week, we did a big overview of 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Pastor Timothy, who's in the church of Ephesus, and Timothy was sent there um, primarily because, number one, there's teachers starting to raise up in the church that were teaching things that were not true and wrong and heresy even. And there's other problems and things that he was sent, them there, sent him there for. And we talked, just briefly talked about that. And so we're going to be doing this, um, the way we call this style of preaching is expository, verse by verse through the whole book. So between myself and Brian and whoever else happens to preach, we're going to cover every verse. And that way it's in context of what Paul was really trying to say. Um, and la at the end of last Sunday, we encourage you guys to be feasting on God's Word. Sunday is like a banquet, almost like Thanksgiving, where we all feast on God's Word together. And we wanted to encourage you not to be starving on, from God's Word Monday through Saturday. So we gave you guys pieces of paper in front of you, the SOAP Bible study method. It's just, if you guys are looking for a cool Bible study method, that is great. It's called SOAP, um, and it, there should be papers all around the sanctuary if you want that. So um, without further ado, I'm going to get right into 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. What I'm going to do is read the whole passage in its entirety, and then we'll unpack it. Does that sound good? All right. Let's, uh, it'll also be on the screens if you don't happen to have a Bible. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses, starting in verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia... Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's word, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Verse 9, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Let's pray. God, we believe and know that all, all Scripture is God-breathed, and, Lord, useful for building up your church. God, every word was placed here for a reason and for a purpose. To edify 2,000 years ago the church in Ephesus, 
and also edify the body of Christ that still exists today here at Jericho Road Church. So, God, as we unpack your scripture, and I pray that the truth sticks out to us, each one of us, um, where we are at. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. And God, I pray that we can leave here applying this to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we look at is uh, verse 3, the second part of verse 3, which I, we call 3b sometimes. There's the first and second part, but the second part is, he says, that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. So he was sent there to specifically with a command. And this command was to tell certain people, so it seems like Timothy knew who Paul was talking about. He just didn't name him right here. Um, not to teach these false doctrines. In a different translation, or maybe in the original language, he says a different doctrine. So it translates a false doctrine or a different doctrine or new teaching, a new teaching that's not part of what Timothy knew to be sound doctrine. And so they were teaching things that weren't rooted in God's Word. So first of all, does everybody know what the term doctrine means? When we talk about doctrine, what's doctrine? Yes. Um, Doctrine is simply truth found in God's Word. So truth found in God's Word. You know, soon it'll be Christmas, and we will proclaim that Jesus was born of a virgin, and he is God's only son in the same nature as God. Like, that's doctrine that the church for 2,000 years have held to be true. And at times, people were bringing in a new teaching to the church that was different and false and wrong and people were starting to believe it. And you can imagine at that time, Jesus has ascended into heaven for only 30 years. So now, for us, it's been 2,000 years. For him, it's been 30 years. So it is relatively new. And Paul, who's seen the risen Christ, is, you know, still alive. So to a lot of the people, a lot of these teachings are going to be new, right? It's going to be new because they're hearing these things, and he's saying, these are different than what the apostles are teaching. This is some different stuff that was happening And when he talks about false teachings or new teachings, it could also mean that people are taking a truth that's right and twisting it. And we know that our enemy, Satan, is a master of many things, but he's a master at lying and he's a master at twisting Scripture. He takes God's Word and just twists it a little bit to where if you really understand and know God's Word and you're in it, you understand where the lie is, but it can twist people up. And we see that in the Garden of Eden, right? Do you guys remember in the Garden of Eden? That Adam and Eve have one command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent came, who was Satan, and said, did God really say that? And he twisted it by saying, um, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. God never said that. But God did say, do not eat it. So Satan is a master at taking scripture and twisting it. And so that's why it's important that we are feasting on God's Word, that we're in it. God's Word is not too complex for us to know. Amen? Like, we, can, we just got to be in it and consuming it um, so we can determine lies from the truth. So we need to be in the Word daily. Okay, in verse 4a, the next verse, he says, um, so he doesn't want these people, he wants to tell them not to be teaching these false doctrines. But the second thing is in 4a, he says, or I don't want them to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. I don't want to devote them. Like, 
in a sense, in, in another word, in a few verses later, he says meaningless talk. And this myths and endless genealogies, um, the other thing they say is for myths is fables. He's like, I don't want you guys talking about myths and fables and superstitions. Like, I want you to stick to God's word. And, you know, um, when it comes to our day and age, like, what are some of the myths, fables, and things that we get caught up in in the church? You know, I try to think about that when reading this because for them, it might have been one thing, and for us, it's a whole different thing. Number one, <coughs> excuse me, number one, um, and this isn't going to be on the screen, it's just for us. We know that as Christians, we do not mess around with psychics and fortune tellers because on one end of the spectrum, they're just liars and scammers, and on a more darker end of the spectrum, they're getting their, their knowledge from demons, right? So it's like something that we do not mess with. That would fall in the category of myths and fables and endless genealogies as going to psychics or mediums. Um, the other one is horoscopes or astrology signs and trying to get these wisdoms from things that are like, hey, are you a, you know, Libra or are you a Virgo? And maybe this means this. And that would all fall into the category of endless genealogies, myths, fables that the church does not need to be messing with. Again, at a, at a very innocent side of the spectrum, it's a huge distraction and something we shouldn't be doing. At the far end, it can lead us down a trail of something demonic. And so he's saying psychics, all these things, do not mess with. The other thing that the church sometimes, maybe this, maybe this is new to you, but I think for a lot of us, and I think the age of social media, and especially TikTok, has brought us into is the age of conspiracy theories, right? Anybody here ever get told a conspiracy theory before? <laughs> and it's like, hey, in the, like the conspiracy theories get wild, right? They get wild. I think back in my day, it's like, hey, was the moon landing fake? Maybe they made it in like a, <laughs> maybe they made it in a studio to trick the Russians. I don't know. It's kind of fun to talk about, but it's impossible to prove, at least for me. And so he's saying, are you just wasting your time talking about myths, fables, horoscopes, conspiracy theories? You know, there has been times, you know, in our missional community where the conversation gets sidetracked to flat earth. And I'm like, and it's like, hey, you got to know the earth is flat. And I'm like, you know, I, that's not something I want to talk about right now. And then it's like, keeps going back to that. And number one, I can't prove it. Uh, you can't prove it. It may be true. It may not. You know, secret societies, all of these things um, would fall into church. Why are we wasting time talking about meaningless talk, empty talk? And, um, and he's, saying, he's saying this is a great distraction from what we should be doing. Look at uh, the second part of verse 4. In 4b, it says this, such things promote controversial speculations, and in other translations it says disputes and fights, but also controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So he's saying when you get caught up in all of this junk, you're missing out on what's truly important of building up the body of Christ, right? And I know some of you maybe get into these conspiracy theories that you'll never be able to prove, and it doesn't affect your life or my life. We can't prove or disprove. We could spend hours of talking about it, 
And in that, we wasted hours on building one another up in the body of Christ. We could be talking about anything else. You know, in another translation, it says disputes. And, and also, and it's really cool, look at the other translations. Like this says, you waste times on these things which promote controversial disputes um, rather than advancing God's work. And that advancing God's work is translated in three different ways in the ESV, the New King James, and the NIV. And so I have that in the next slide for you. It says, these things distract you from edification of the body of Christ, um, deepening our faith in obedience, and as the translation of the NIV, advancing God's work. So he's saying when we waste our time talking about anything from superstitions to horoscopes to conspiracy theories, the God's work isn't being advanced in you or me. It's really just being distracted. And I think any of us who have ever been in those conversations, and um, we all have, and maybe even it's not these things, but other similar meaningless things, is we have an opportunity to sit down with a brother or sister in Christ for an hour, and we end up talking about things that don't matter, that we can't prove, and we leave feeling empty. And there's times where we sit down with a brother or sister in Christ and we talk for an hour and we build one another up and we edify the body. We, we encourage one another to faith and obedience and we leave feeling like a million bucks, right? And that's what the Bible says you and I should be doing with each other and what you should be doing with each other and you guys should be doing with each other. And so he's saying instead of talking about nonsense, talk about this. And I'm going to give you three verses. Um, the first one's in Romans 4, 9, 14, 9. It says, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I think it's that one with the three, the three passages. Okay, there we go. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, Romans 14, 9. So that's the things we should be talking about, which promotes peace and mutual building up. So I'm building up you. You're building up me. That's what the body of Christ is for, Right? And when we miss missional community, when we miss church, when we take ourselves out of the body of Christ, we miss out on that mutual upbuilding. And the other one is 1 Thessalonians. By the way, Paul wrote all of these, so he's all about not wasting your time on meaningless talk, but actual building each other up. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So our job as a church is to encourage one another and spur each other on to faith and obedience and edification. And the last one is this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I think I've read this one to my kids a time or two because <laughs> I'm guilty of this like more than anybody I'll say, and it's probably been a lifelong struggle of mine is maybe coarse joking or letting, not guarding every word that comes out of my mouth. But he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for what? Building others up building others up. You know, it's as simple as if you notice somebody is growing in the Lord, taking them aside and say, hey, Noah, I just want to say, I think it's awesome you're helping in student ministry. Keep up the good work. That one sentence build, built him up spiritually, right? Or, hey, I just want to say, you know, when you prayed for me the other day, that meant a lot. That's an encouragement, right? And that's what we should be doing is encouraging one another. Hey, uh, 
you know, Floyd back there is doing security. Thank you, brother, for doing security at J-Road, and it means a lot. Yes, give Floyd a big round of applause. He's back there. Uh, but guys, it's, you don't have to have the spiritual gift of encouragement to encourage one another because it's spotting out what somebody is doing in the Lord and just telling them, hey, good job. Keep it up. And it's an encouragement. And so he's saying that's what we need to do in building one another um, that it may benefit those who listen. Um, so it seemed like not only were they doing false teachings, but they were just bickering about things that didn't matter, whether it be superstitions, myths, fables, and wasting their time. Um, so it's important how we use our time as a church. Uh, verse 5. So Paul goes on to say, what is the overarching goal of this command? What is the overarching goal? He said the goal of this command is what? Okay. So think about this for a second before I read the rest. Timothy, like in the precious early church, in the precious early church, there's a new body of believers so on fire for the Lord, and they're learning things, and they're, they're witnessing, and people are coming to Christ. And then there's false teachers in there teaching them something different, something bad, false doctrines. You would think Paul's like, Timothy, go in there and crush him out and drive him out and crush these folks. And he's saying, I want you to know the goal of this is love. I want this all to be under the banner of love. And so what it means is, is I don't want you to go in there and just kick everybody out. I want you to put your arm around these brothers or sisters that are teaching these false teachings and try to rebuke them gently, right? Try to rebuke them gently and tell them and show them the other way. The goal is for you to love them and them to love you and that everything we do as a church should be under the banner of love, right? You would think the command was stop these false teachers that would be, hey, get them out of there. And it's like, you know, everybody that we encounter as a church is a child of God. Some have lost their way. Some need, need correction. But everything we do should be under love. And so Paul's telling Timothy to love these guys. Love the heretics. <laughs> because believe it or not, every pastor that steps behind the pulpit at one time has probably said something that wasn't fully true. <laughs> like, I probably said something heretical at some point, and somebody's called me out and said, hey, that's not probably accurate. And he's saying the goal is to love. And so I'm going to go on. It says the, 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 the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. And so he's saying, like, these people who have a pure heart, which the only way one can have a pure heart is if somebody has a regenerated heart because they've given their life to Jesus, right? So at the moment we become Christians, God gives us a new regenerated heart that's considered pure. So he's saying that as true Christians, they have a pure heart, and what flows from that um, is uh, a good conscience and sincere faith. And he said some of the folks have departed from that. And yes, there is a time where the command of love, rebuke them in love, they don't change, and it's maybe time to, that these could be a wolf in sheep's clothing versus a brother who, or sister who lost their way. Does that make sense? And he's saying, like, do all of this under the banner of love. Um, loving people 
should always be number one here at Jericho Road Church and any other church. Amen? Like, loving God, obviously number one, but loving people. And when we rebuke somebody or, or show somebody the error of their ways, we do it in love because we love you. And I want to show you the error of your ways. And does everybody know, well, if you don't know, look it up, but if you are in conflict with another believer where this is happening in the church, does anybody know the passage that we go to when there's conflict in the church for resolution? Um, Matthew 18. So everybody write that down in your journals or Bibles or notes in Matthew 18. There's a section in Matthew 18 which talks about resolution. And when there's a dispute or a fight or argument in the church, we should pull our brother aside or sister. We should tell them. If they said they listen, you have won a brother or sister. And so the goal of Matthew 18 isn't that conflict ends in a fight. The goal of Matthew 18 is that conflict ends in like a better relationship than it started. And so that's what we need to do is everything should be done in love. Um, the goal is never division. There's only one person who wants division in the church, and that's our enemy, the devil. That makes sense? And if anybody promotes division or gossip or slander, that's not right. And again, under the banner of love, we should show them that that's not right, that we should all, you know, the, the goal should be unity in the body. Okay, verse 8. I'm going to go on to verse 8 through 11, our last verses. So he says, We know that the law is good only if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for who? Yeah. The law is not made for the righteous, but it's actually made for the lawbreakers and the rebels. The ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. And so this is the end of that section. So what do you guys think of when he said, you know the law? When he's talking about the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law, or another word for it is the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. You know, a good way to think of it is the Ten Commandments. Um, and he's saying the law is still good if one uses it properly. And he's saying, and get this, who is the law made for? The lawbreakers, the ungodly, the rebels, the sinners, the murderers, the liars. And why do you think Paul said that? Um, it makes me think of this, what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13. Jesus said this phrase probably five or six different times throughout the Gospels. But in Matthew 9, 13, it says this. Um, For I have not come to call the, but the, very important, very important. Jesus, Jesus's ministry had no, how do I say this? It had, he came for the sinners, not the righteous. Basically, if somebody's self-righteous, Jesus couldn't do a work in them because they were self-righteous. I came for the sinners. And so 
What does it mean here? Um, he came for the broken, the repentant, the people that saw themselves as sinners. All the people that Jesus helped came to him and said, Lord, forgive me. I, I shouldn't even be in your presence. And, and so he's saying, we as people need to put off our self-righteousness and put on brokenness. Does that make sense? We need to put on, like, number one, the Bible says that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Amen? Like, nobody here is righteous, and the only righteousness that we have is a picture of a white robe that we put on when we come to Christ. So when we go to heaven, God will only see our righteousness purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. But nothing in Jim Zatko, born in 1984 in Ida, Michigan, is righteous. <laughs> I have no righteousness. The only righteousness I have is from Christ. And so, and look at what it, uh, David wrote in Psalm 51, 17. It says this, My sacrifice, O God, is a what? My sacrifice is a broken spirit and a contrite heart, and God will not despise. Um, here's the thing. Jesus can only save sinners. Has that hit you before? He was telling them, I've came for the sinners, not the righteous. And the righteous be like, why aren't you coming to save me? And he's like, you're not righteous, you're a sinner. <laughs> right? You have to see yourself as a sinner before I can save you. And you have to be broken before the Lord. And I think when I first read this passage, I was kind of thinking, well, what about the righteous people? And he's like, there is no righteous. No, not one as the word says. Saying, see yourselves as a sinner, then I can do my work in you. And as Christians, we come to Jesus for salvation. We're made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And we keep going to him for our righteousness. And, and you know, once saved, always saved. I believe that. And we don't have to keep going back to him for salvation. But we keep going back to him so we abide in Christ. And so we walk in Christ. He's saying the law is meant to be a mirror. That you look into, right? You look into the mirror. It shows you your sin. It shows you your standard of living. And it shows you as Christians that we try so hard to measure up and we keep falling short and we need to have dependence on Jesus. And you're like, so what? Do I just keep falling short until I go to heaven? Yes. Each day we look more like Jesus than we did before. That's sanctification. Thomas is here. He can back me up on the, the doctrine of sanctification. <laughs> but every day we look more like Jesus, but we are going to fail forward until we get our new bodies in heaven. But that failing forward is what keeps us dependent on Christ and going back to the well every day for strength and forgiveness and, you know, washed and being more like Jesus. But he's saying the gospel, the gospels and the law is like a mirror and it shows you where you're wrong. And um, I'm going to share this last verse, and I'm going to welcome the worship team up. But this is next Sunday's verse, so I'll skip ahead. But it, when, when the letter was written, it was written in its entirety, and we're breaking it up in chunks. But I want to read part of next week's verse to relieve some of the tension. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
He just gave him this whole list of like murderers, liars, all these, all these uh, types of sinners. And, and he's saying, we can't keep the law. And then he brings all this tension together in verse 15, where he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves complete and full acceptance. Though that we were in our sins, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, Paul, an apostle, which the office of apostle is a big deal. There's only a few. Me, an apostle, I'm the chief of all sinners. And Christ's grace was sufficient for me. So he wanted him to know that. So um, my encouragement to you with this, of this whole body of Scripture, is A, don't focus on meaningless talks that just divide or at minimum distract one another from growing in Christ. And number two, exercise a pattern of just being broken before the Lord. Saying, hear my Lord, send me. And he will empower you with gifts and he will strengthen you. And he's our well that we go to every day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for your word. God, uh, your word says uh, that your word is a lamp to our feet. It gives us direction. Help us stick to that. God, when we get together with believers, help us just focus on encouraging and building one another up in joy and peace and love and kindness and goodness and patience. God, help us not distract one another with what your word just calls meaningless talk. And God, um, your word is there to show us where we fall short. God, when we see that, help us come to you, ask for forgiveness with full trust that you forgive. And all of our sins have been paid for by your precious blood. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.